Okay. Um, thank you for being here. I hope everyone is okay. Um, staying safe in body and mind, which means taking good care of body and also thinking clearly and um, working through disinformation and lies and deception. And um, it's very important now, more than ever before. Today is uh, talk number 28 in Sutta Nipata. Today we're going to read the Vangisa, Vangisa Sutta. Vangisa was a fellow, was uh, ultimately an arhat. And the write-up from Tanasaro on the Sutta Nipata collection page is Venerable Vangisa, the foremost poet, uh, or quick-witted and eloquent among the Buddha's disciples, praises the Buddha in verse. And so a lot of the flowery language <laughs> that is seen in some Theravadan, Pali Canon suttas is actually Vangisa, um, who was very enamored of his own uh, poetic inte intellect and um, was a Brahmin. And I'm going to read the backstory of the sutta, then the backstory of him himself and uh, how he joined the Sangha. It's a very interesting story. Uh, and uh, at the end, <laughs> read Vangisa Sutta itself, which is not particularly um, profound, actually, because he's really Vangisa. It's uh, the Sutta where he's praising Gautama's virtues as the foremost teacher, the great teacher and leader, dot, 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 is really... Uh, him, <clears throat> Vangisa, asking Gautama about the fate of his teacher who died. And so Vangisa had a teacher uh, who I think was in the Sangha uh, and was asking Gautama after he died, where did he go? Was he finished? Did he achieve Nibban after death? Uh, the, first, the first link that I sent above is again drawing from wisdom lib or library lib.org uh, definition of Vangisa. So what we're going to see here is just a very brief synopsis of the sutta and then I'm going to expand on it. So point one, Vangisa Sutta, preached by the Buddha at Agalava Chetia. Chetia is um, a kind of a stone shrine. Vangisa's teacher uh, Nigroda Kappa had died, had just died there, and Vangisa asked the Buddha if he had attained Nibbana. Vangisa's question is really a poem in itself, containing ten verses in praise of the Buddha. The Buddha says that Kappa had won Nibbana because he has severed all the bonds of Mara, meaning <clears throat> Mara as the personification of evil or temptation or attachment that keeps beings reincarnating in samsara or the 31 planes of the octave. Vangisa then declares that Kappa attained that state, meaning Nibbana, which is not a state, because he followed Buddha's teaching. Okay, Vangisa is very, um, he's a bit full of himself and um, he's the kind of guy who just talks too much, but um, he loved his teacher. And so <clears throat> there are many different suttas in the Pali Canon where we see words of Vangisa actually, which is interesting, because he was so um, eloquent, um, and um, that was appreciated by many people, and I guess the compilers of Pali Canon as well. So there are different suttas, um, many, actually, where his um, words are found. The next link, also wisdomlib.org, is the longer write-up of Vangisa, and so it's very interesting. Here we'll see the story of how he came to the Sangha. <clears throat> and um, I'm not going to read the whole of this because I'm going to expand it even more in the next link, which um, is from the Great Chronicle of Buddhas from Mingun Sayadaw, the one who had um, such profound um, memory capacity. It was... Um, as I said, showered with 
ti- with honorific titles in Burma as sort of a, one of the greatest uh, national treasures of the Buddhist community in Burma um, in the 20th century or the 19th century, I guess the 20th century, uh, because of his capacity for memory and his brilliance, a uh, great uh, mind. And that's Venerable Mingun Sayadaw from Burma, who wrote Great Chronicle of the Buddhas, from which we take this uh, longer expanded uh, biography of Angisa uh, after <laughs> the next link. So the next link, as I said, Wisdom Live, a little bit expanded uh, definition of Angisa Theravada. Vangisa himself belonged to a Brahmin family, was proficient in the Vedas. He gained repute by tapping on skulls with his fingernail and telling thereby where the owners of the skull were reborn. During three years, he thus gained much money. Then, in spite of the protests of his colleagues, his Brahmin friends who were making a lot of money from him, he went to see the Buddha, who gave him the skull of an Arahant, and according to one text, the Apadana, he saw Shariputta first and learned from him about the Buddha. So how did he know there was a Buddha or Gautama around? Presumably from one source he saw Shariputta, then made his way to Gautama, who basically knew his, his trip and said, Okay, bro, here's the skull of an Arahant. Where did he go? Going on with the story, Vangisa could make nothing of this, meaning he couldn't tell where that entity, the the skull of the Arhat, where the entity who's the Arhat, whose skull he's tapping, went. He could make nothing of this. He joined the Ardor in order to learn its secret. He joined, actually, to learn the mantra, or mantra, by which Gautama knew where this Arhat went. <laughs> so you can see some people come into the Sangha with very um, low motivation. Yet, um, he went all the way. He was ordained by Nigroda Kappa, which was the teacher, his teacher who forms the basis of his requesting in the Vangisa Sutta of Sutta Nipata regarding where did he go. So he was ordained by Nigroda Kappa, had a lot of devotion to him, and meditating on the 32 constituents of the body, one arahanship. Meditating on the constituents of the body is a particular, very original, very old practice <clears throat> where a person, and it's still done in some Theravadan countries, Thailand and Burma, um, meditating on the impermanence and insubstantiality of the physical body and its elements, uh, it really breaks down uh, conceit and uh, a belief in substantial, separative, subjective identity, meaning I am me and you are you, and uh, dualistic consciousness, subjectivity, subjectivism, subjective perspective, is heavily broken down by this kind of meditation on the body as, you know, lump of flesh, lump of red flesh, as as, uh, Lin Chi would say, uh, and its 32 constituents um, as a patched together uh, physical form in which no abiding, permanent, separative, solid self can be found. So very, very hardcore practice that most people would not want to do because it really uh, breaks down, it, it really goes straight at the pride or conceit um, the sense of, I know I am, like Descartes, I think, therefore I am. No, not at all. You can say, I think, therefore I is, or I think, um, therefore, uh, there is thinking, (laughs) therefore, um, something thinks, but that doesn't mean I am. You can say maybe I is, or I think, therefore, a view of an I is. So it's very subtle, actually. But, but this type of meditation goes very deep into breaking down um, 
false view of selfhood within the within the body mind system. So he then visited the Buddha again after our hanship, praised him in various verses full of similes and metaphors. This brought him reputation as a poet. Actually, he had some of that before, I think. Later, the Buddha declared him foremost among those preeminent in ready expression. His resolve to attain to this position was made in the time of a previous Buddha, uh, Padumutara, Padumutara Buddha, and there's a whole long story in the next reading of from Mingun Sayadaw, Great Chronicle of the Buddhas, of the supposed past life experience of Mangisa, who made a pledge to be that foremost disciple in wit or at ready exposition, expression, meaning eloquence on the spot. And so then the Teragata, meaning the songs of the elders, Tera Elder Gata songs, contains numerous verses spoken by Vangisa on various occasions, uh, some of them about himself, some of them about his attempts to suppress desires excited by the sight of gaily dressed women beautiful Hindu women <laughs> uh, in lovely uh, multicolored saris 2,500 years ago. Quite beautiful, I'm sure. Uh, one occasion he confessed his disaffection to Ananda. It's probably his attachment. Who admonished him, don't get attached, don't, don't, don't be attached to the sign of, of the pleasurable, meaning don't dwell upon their beauty. And, you know, uh, this, uh, again, Buddhism is, the Pali Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, <clears throat> is uncompromising in um, its teaching to be the fastest and most direct, direct way towards complete and perfect enlightenment. Just like Nichinanda said, one must take the fastest and shortest route back to source or to the divine or home. That's what this is. This is a full teaching. This is what Theravada Buddhism, early Buddhism, uh, the heart of Buddhism, Buddha Dhamma is all about. <clears throat> the fastest and shortest way back home, or out of the octave, or back to where um, uh, life originates, which is the Logos and its source. And so that's why they're so um, strict about cutting attachment, don't even look at these beautiful women, that kind of thing. Uh, so uh, then others, other, other um, instances of Vangisa's talks or um, um, verses <laughs> in the Pali Canon include self-admonitions against conceit because of his facility of speech. He, he was proud, rightly, of his um, brilliant eloquence. Some were spoken in praise of sermons preached by the Buddha, a sutta on Nibbana, sutta at the Pavarana ceremony, verses in praise of his colleagues, like Shariputta and uh, Anyakandanya and Mohamogalana. <clears throat> Some of his long poems addressed to the Buddha, questioning him as to the destiny of Vangisa's teacher, and that's what we're going to read today. Uh, the commentary... Um, a commentary, I believe, from somewhere in the Pali Canon, uh, explains that when his teacher Nigorodakapa died, this is the backstory again on the Sutta, uh, Vangisa was absent, he was somewhere else, wished to be assured by the Buddha that his teacher had reached Nibbana, but the poem is more than a question, or the Sutta, Vangisa Sutta for today, is more than asking Gautama about it. It's really a eulogy of the Buddha. It's not really a eulogy. Gautama didn't die. It's actually praise of the Buddha. I mean, he just he's just over over the top fellow in his with his mouth. He's got a good mouth, you know. I'm a little bit similar. Some guy who just just likes listening to his own mouth running. I mean, because something nice comes out, or it it's fluid and smooth and pleasant, and many other people don't do that. Um, another verse. Uh, describes the Buddha as he sat surrounded by monks on the banks of the Gangara, the Ganges, at Kampa. It was a special time back then, I assure you. Uh, and so, <clears throat> um, he 
his utterances are found throughout the Pali Canon. Let's just leave it at that. Uh, he had a lot to say. He was a, <laughs> a fellow who liked speaking and did a good job of it. Now, from the third link, Wisdom Library, wisdomlib.org, Great Chronicle of the Buddhas, again from Mingun Sayadaw. If you look <laughs> at the fifth of those links, you'll see the images of Mingun Sayadaw. The next link is the images of Chico Javier uh, of No Solar, the spiritist from Brazil, uh, also a great man. They look very similar. Hmm. Chico Javier and Mingun Sayadaw have a very similar face and skull. And it may be um, simply a metaphysical, um, uh, geometrical, um, energetic fact, <laughs> a fact of metaphysical geometry that uh, two faces and skulls of similar morphology and shape, the physiognomy of face and skull of these two men, very similar, is associated with high capacity, the, a great capacity for mental activity uh, of uh, both memory and interdimensional receptivity. Right, Memory uh, was um, one of the great powers of Mingun Sayadaw, who wrote the book Chronicle of the Buddhas and interdimensional communication and I imagine some memory and uh, lucidity of exposition one of the great qualities of Chico Javier so that their faces and skulls have similar morphology and appearance is not coincidental and um, it probably is simply the fact that that type that that facial and uh, cranial morphology facilitates high quality mental work and because the 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 body is the temple of the lord the body and the skull and the cranium and the the whole form of the body is um not simply a flesh form but also an electromagnetic receiver transmitter, a transducer of um, intelligent energy associated with the seven chakras, obviously, and uh, particularly six and seven chakras in the head. Um, and so it's no coincidence that their faces and their cranial morphology is similar. And that's very interesting. <laughs> now, back to uh, his book, Great Chronicle of the Buddhas, uh, Mingun Sayadaw's write-up of Vangisa and his past. Some of the um, write-up of the past lives of um, Gautama, or previous Buddhas, or Arhats and their past lives. Uh, some of it looks to me like mythology and fancy, fancy fanciful fantasy, fiction. Um, okay, I can handle that. Um, but we can also determine some very interesting principles. And um, I, I think they're all very uh, very important, or at least interesting, backstory. So the write-up on Vankisa from Mingun Sayadaw's book, Great Chronicle of the Buddhas, section A, aspiration expressed in the past, starts with this. The future Vankisa, meaning the past life of Vankisa, was born into a wealthy family in the city of Hamas, Hamasavati during the time of Buddha Padumatara, which was, I think, the 10th of 24 previous Buddhas, or 24 total Buddhas, so they say. Like all other future great disciples, meaning he was the great disciple, he was not a chief disciple, that was Shariputta and Mahamogalana, but he was a great disciple in terms of foremost in the capacity for ready exposition. Right? He could speak really well and poet, poetical and uh, great eloquence. He went to the Buddhist monastery in that past life. And in the course of listening to a sermon, he witnessed a bhikkhu being named by the Buddha as the foremost among those bhikkhus endowed with a quick wit. The son, the future Vangisa, <laughs> meaning Vangisa in his past life, 
emulated that bhikkhu, and after making great offering to that Buddha, he expressed as aspiration to him, May I, for this good deed, become the foremost bhikkhu among those endowed with quick wit at some time in the future. And the Buddha saw, uh, the Buddha, that Buddha, Padu Mutara, saw that the aspiration of the donor, meaning the past life of Angisa, would be fulfilled and therefore made the prognostication before returning to the monastery, meaning uh, he was uh, given a confirmation from that Buddha that he would fulfill that aspiration in a future life. This does happen, that um, people with great uh, attainment and ability in one area of human activity made an aspiration for it in a past life. Uh, And clearly people who come in, I mean, this is the theory of Karma 101, people who come in uh, to, like a family, like like, uh, somebody like Yo-Yo Ma, right? Or mm, people who are born into families of musicians, uh, who just happen to be a child prodigy, age five, taking up some musical instrument, and then go on to tour globally at at age 13, 15, and become uh, a famous musician in adulthood. Uh, Clearly, (laughs) in past lives, they set down the roots for that. And um, one can see much about, uh, one can get some sense, at least, of some past life development by what seems to have been well-developed upon entry to this lifetime by qualities of mind or the various abilities that seem to be well-solidified in early childhood already and going on uh, to adulthood um, are continued. And then there's the question of dharma or karma, dharma or life purpose and life work. There are a lot of people who are 30, 40, 50 years old who are saying, what am I here to do? What is my work? <laughs> I mean, they're, they're basically uh, thinking that there's something that they should be doing. Well, um, there is, but it may not be as specific as they imagine it it would be, or it is, in that, yeah, um, the purpose of third density is to learn the ways of love, the purpose of incarnation is evolution of mind-body-spirit, both from Ra. So, yeah, the purpose is to develop green, blue, indigo. Yeah, self-healing, clearance of lower triad blockage, getting through distorted, damaged, wounded self-esteem or self-image, getting through patterns of avoidance, um, blockages in heart and mind, or the capacity to love or know. Yeah, that's the work that should be done but not necessarily a particular role on the world stage. Certainly not in every lifetime is needed. In many cases, the people who have a very specific role on the world stage are already in there at age 20, 25, 30. They're already there. In many cases, they're already set on the path in adolescence, and by 20 to 30, before first Saturn return, they're already in it. Or after the first Saturn return, 30 to 40, they're already in it their preordained specific role function activity on the world stage. But that doesn't it's not that every soul should have that. It's not that every soul does have that. It's not that every incarnation is planned that way. Not every incarnation is planned to have a role, a fixed position and activity on the world stage. Not at all. And the people who have it had many past lives when they didn't have it. They were just ordinary folk living maybe uh, as a mother or a father, taking care of children. There's nothing wrong with that. That's superior. <laughs> you know, there are no small roles. There are only small actors. Uh, is known, well known in theater. There are no small roles. Um, one, a great actor or actress can play any role, no matter how so-called minor, greatly. And so there are no small roles on the world stage their only small capacity to fulfill the purpose of incarnation, which is not the role on the world stage, but the essentials of continued mind-body-spirit evolution. Meaning, 
Clearance of lower triad blockage. Development of green, blue, indigo. Love, wisdom, and balance moment by moment. Right? Learn, grow, help. Know yourself, accept yourself, become the creator. All the same. And, um, Srila Samadhi Prajna. Right? Ethics for virtue, morality, right speech, right action, right livelihood. And, uh, meditation, concentration, equanimity, leading to insight and knowing the non-dual and, um, the greater towards release. That's the purpose always, it seems to me. And a particular role or spotlighted position on the world stage and society is really optional and not that common, actually. So anyway, he made this aspiration at the past. Time goes so fast. And um, was able to fulfill it. So section B, ascetic life adopted in his final existence, meaning when this soul was reborn as Vangisa, goes on, after a life of good deeds, that man passed away, was reborn either as a deva or a human being, I guess they're not sure, or it alternated. At the time of Buddha Gautama, he was born in a Brahmin family in Savati by the name of Vangisa. When he came of age, he learned the three Vedas, he was a Brahmin, he served the teacher, his teacher, not Gautama at that time, to the latter's satisfaction so that he also received a secret formula or chant called the Chavasisa Manta. Manta, I guess, is Pali for mantra, mantra being Sanskrit for a chant or spell or <laughs> mystic syllables. By intoning which he could tell the destination of a departed one by gentle wrapping the skull of that dead person. The Brahmins knew well how to capitalize Vangisa's art, meaning he was the uh, star attraction to make money for some people around him. So Brahmins were already using magical powers for fame and fortune uh, 2,500 years ago. So they put him in an enclosed carriage, would encamp at the gate to a town or village, and when a crowd had formed, they advertised Vangisa's greatness, saying... He who sees Vangisa comes upon wealth and fame and goes to the heavens at death. So this is called spiritual materialism or exploitation of um, the gullible. Although, yeah, being go somewhere after death. So this is um, uh, exploiting cities or magical powers uh, for worldly gain. Many people were taken in by such propaganda meaning the propaganda that you'll come and palm wealth and fame and go to heaven at your death because you paid money to have him wrap the skull of your dead relative to see where they went. That don't, those don't even come together. But, okay, this was a sales pitch. Many people taken in by such propaganda or deception, they would go to the visiting Brahmins, Oh, sir, what is Mangi Master Vangisa's special knowledge? Then the Brahmins, or his uh, promotional, his, uh, his handlers and advertising crew, would say, Oh men, you do not know that there is no wise one equal to Master Vangisa, because he can tell you the destination of a departed person. Just by wrapping the skull of a dead person with his fingernails, he will tell you in what clan or in what realm he is reborn. And he could do that. But that doesn't mean the person who is asking will get wealthy or go to heaven. So, <laughs> that's funny. Then Vangisa was actually able to make good all the claim of his men. He called upon the spirit of the dead person, made it possess someone near him, and tell from that person's mouth where the subject is, or was, i.e., where the dead person was reborn. For this miraculous feat, he reaped big sums of fees from his clients. But <clears throat> it, was not, it was not to be that he would continue that way endlessly. His time for liberation, that section, after a tour of the land covering cities, towns, and villages, Vangisa's men carried him to the city of Savati. Vangisa stopped near the Jetawana monastery and thought, this is supposedly possibly after seeing Shariputta, Samana, Shramana, Gotama is reputed to be wise. It would not be to my advantage just touring the Jambudipa. Jambudipa, Jambudipa is um, um, Sanskrit or Hindu term for the world, 
or uh, the continents and the oceans. I might as well go and see someone who is said to be wise. <laughs> so he's very open-minded. So he sent his men away, saying, You go ahead, I do not want company when visiting the Buddha, so let me go alone. But sir, the attendants of Vangisa protested, by using his trickery, Samana Gotama has a way of winning over people who go to see him. But Vangisa paid no attention to those words, going before the Buddha, and after saying courteous words of greeting, he sat at a suitable place, which is the standard respectful mode of greeting. So, this is a funny, um, manipulative trick, otherwise called a mind fuck, which is that he, that many people of other sects, Brahmins and other groups, go to Gautama and then become monks in the Sangha, convert, are ordained as bhikkhus in the Sangha, is an indication to them that Gautama is tricking them. His winning over people who go to see him is um, uh, explained as um, the result of deception, trickery, mind control by those that don't want people to go and see him because then they'll lose followers, lose fame and fortune. And so this is a, sort of a, a specious... Um, argument or a, a, a false attribution. And we have to be very careful. There are a lot of liars, very professional, well-trained liars online in the world. More online than in daily life. But online, one may see professional liars all the time. Um, whether it's mainstream news or some alternative news or trolls or comment boards and postings. Um, this is, um, there, there was actually, somebody wrote a book, it's a secret kind of book, uh, but you can find the PDF of it, I don't know where it is, something like 21, 25, um, methods of, uh, detecting mind control method, something like that, I forgot the title, it was written in the 80s or 90s, there are PDFs around, spotting CIA disinformation, that kind of thing. And there are all sorts of logical fallacies uh, detailed there. This is a certain type of fallacy. Just be because that many who went to Gautama became ordained was explained as uh, mind control trickery by Gautama winning them over. Well, it could have been. But just that they're won over and become arha, become uh, bhikkhus in the Sangha, doesn't mean that that was done by trickery. It may be, it may not be. But why presume it was? There, That's not explained. So that's an interesting thing that you can see uh, that was <laughs> certainly happening 2,500 years ago by very smart, spiritually developed people without love. <laughs> not um, really honest, actually. So how spiritually developed are they? They have magical ability. These are the people around Vangisa. Actually, we can't even presume they have any spiritual ability or development, but they're making use of real spiritual power with a very um, some somewhat sophisticated cosmology, metaphysics, that, yeah, beings die and go to other dimensions afterwards. That's true. And that can be known. Um, so despite the relatively mature cosmology there um, it's being it's been commercialized so now we have Gautama talking to Vangisa I guess we're gonna do two weeks here <laughs> the Buddha asked because the Buddha the Vangisa Sutta is not particularly profound but the backstory is very interesting and many principles can be derived or determined so, going on, the Buddha asked Vangisa, the youth, so he was young at that time, Vangisa, are you skilled in some art? Reverend Gautama said Vangisa, I know a certain manta called Chavasisa manta. Gautama says, what use do you make of that Chavisa santa, Chavasisa manta? So it's a manta meaning mantra. What use do you make of it? Venerable Gautama Chanting that manta, I rap with my fingernails on the skull of a dead person who had died more than three years ago, 
and I can tell in which existence he is now reborn. So it's not somebody who just died, but three years ago. <clears throat> Thereupon the Buddha, by his powers, procured four human skulls. This is not commonly done at the Theravadan Vipassana Insight Meditation groups uh, in the USA. One belonging to somebody in the Niraya realm, meaning hell. One belonged to somebody in the human realm. One belonged to somebody in the Deva realm, higher dimensional, fourth, fifth, sixth, probably, you know, upper astral or four, five, six. One belonged to an Arhat. So he got four skulls. This is the kind of teaching that could not be accepted today. But it is, uh, I believe, at Ajahn Chah's place in Ubon or Udon in um, Thailand, his Sangha, his Vihar. They have a skeleton or a skull um, in a glass case in the meditation hall. Just so you remember <laughs> that this uh, body is not forever, and it's just um, it's just um, plastered over bones, flesh plastered bones, and um, that's interesting. So he brought four skulls and tested Vangisa. Vangisa, wrapping the first skull, said, Reverend Gautama, the person whose skull it once was is now reborn in the Niraya realm. Good, good, Vangisa, said the Buddha. You see rightly. Where is the person now whose skull it once was? Meaning the second skull. Pointing to the second, Reverend Gautama, that person is now reborn in the human realm. The Buddha made another test about the third skull. Vangisa said, Reverend Gautama, that person is now reborn in the Deva realm. All three revelations were correct. When, however, the Buddha pointed to the fourth skull and tested Vangisa's skill, the Brahmin youth, so he's just a young guy, right? He's probably 16, 18, 22. He's probably pretty young. <clears throat> he was in a quandary. Although he repeatedly wrapped the skull and reflected on it, he could make neither head nor tail of the present existence of the person whose skull it was, meaning the one who was an Arhan. The Buddha asked, Vangisa, are you at your wit's end? Wait on, Reverend Gautama, said Vangisa. Let me try again. He made further clumsy attempts with more recitals of his famous mantra and more vain wrappings on the skull. He found that the matter was clearly beyond his capacity. Beads of sweat flowed down from his forehead. Looking like a complete fool, the great Vangisa remained silent. And, and his followers said, You see, he's tricked you. Maybe, you see. Just because it's possible doesn't mean it's true. <laughs> we don't know, or we could know, but um, um, plausibility is not proof of certainty. Just like correlation does not um, does not um, indicate causation. There's correlation, but there's not. You know, every morning the sun rises, and I get out of bed. That's correlation. Uh, causation, a false statement of causation is uh, because I get out of bed every day, every morning, the sun rises. <laughs> and so um, correlation is not causation in the same way that plausibility or reasonability of an argument or a statement is no proof of certainty or, uh, or veracity. Going on, Gautama, working with this fellow, said, Do you find it tiring, Vangisa, <laughs> that you can't figure out where this one whose skull you're tapping went? Verily, Reverend Gautama, I find it most tiring. So he wasn't a bad guy. I cannot say the designation of the person whose skull it was. If your reverence knows it, please kindly tell me. <clears throat> and Vang Buddha says, I know this being and much more too. Then the Buddha uttered the following two verses in prose, which I won't mess up. And the translation is, this is from the Dhammapada, right? So this is the background of, of some verses of other suttas are found in other places. Vangisa, he who knows clearly the death and rebirth of beings in all respects, who is free from attachment, who has walked the right path and realized Nibbana, who knows the four Arya truths? Him I call a Brahmana. Meaning, you are considered a Brahman by birth, 
but I say a real Brahmin or a real divine, a real holy upper caste person uh, is one who's uh, followed the path to the goal and then knows uh, where beings go after death as well, including those that are finished. And then there's another translation or another verse. Vangisa, he whose destination the devas of the celestial abodes or the musician devas of terrestrial abodes, that's the Gandharvas, um, I believe. Or men know, meaning wherever they went, who has destroyed the four kinds of moral intoxicants and is an arahant, him I call a brahmana. And so, um, clearly Gautama is, is, um, exp- is revealing that, number one, he agrees with many aspects of Hindu cosmology. But number two, he sees a higher goal than rebirth in higher dimensions and uh, speaks of that goal as freedom from rebirth in all dimensions. And that's the, that person is the true worthy. And so the note here is that Buddha said these verses, which are from Dhammapada, or went into Dhammapada, to let bhikkhus know that Venerable Vangisa was an Arahant. Now, um, there's some something that's a little strange to me. He did become an Arahant. I don't think he was at that time, but there is some kind of a blending of... Um, uh, Gautama speaking to Govangisa about him being an Arhat or what an Arhat is um, but initially he wasn't but he soon became anyway here it's noted in the present situation they were uttered for the benefit of Vangisa that the fourth skull belonged to an Arhat whose destination after death is not found in any of the five kinds of destination this is the five other realms the six realms is another way of uh, defining 31 planes or seven dimensions. The six are hell, the niraya. It's actually lower than that is animal. Animal, which we'd call second density. Hell, which we'd call lower astral. Hungry ghost, preta petta, which I would call earthbound spirit or wandering, um, kind of not yet finished with the shell, the, the, the yellow ray shell non-physical yellow ray shell energy body and therefore in between lower astral and physical that's three four is human five 3d space-time five is um, ashura which is really negatively oriented time space astral particularly and higher dimensional negative and deva which is six which is uh, positively oriented upper astral and higher dimensional positive so that's six realms. Um, that's the cosmology, which is useful. So <laughs> I like talking also. So um, an arhant is nowhere in the fa- in those six realms. Then Vangisa the youth said to the Buddha, "O Reverend Gautama, there is no loss to him who exchanges a manta for a manta. He's just a young guy here. He's probably <laughs> he's very innocent, actually. So he says, hey." I'll give you my manta if you give me yours. I'll follow you because you know some manta that I don't know. Okay? Very, very innocent. I will give you my chavasisa manta in exchange for your Buddha manta, which you have first uttered. So he, <laughs> he thinks that Gautama is going to give him a manta. The Buddha replied, Vangisa, we Buddhas do not make any exchange of mantas. We give it free, out of goodwill to those who want it. Manta here also, as mantra, also sort of means teaching. Very well, Reverend Gautama, said Vagisa the youth. May Reverend Gautama give the manta to me. And he made an unmistakable gesture of reverence to the Buddha with his two palms together, which resembled a young tortoise, for some reason. Then the Buddha said, Vangisa, is there in your Brahmanic custom a period of probation as a comprehensive way of fulfilling an obligation by someone who asks for and receives a favor, meaning in the in your Brahmin group, do you have the custom of um, a probationary period <laughs> um, when um, a favor is requested and uh, offered? There is, 
said, Vangisa. Um, Buddha says, Vangisa, do you think there's no probationary period for one who wishes to learn a manta in our teaching? Meaning, don't you think we have that probationary period? Gautama is basically tricking him <laughs> in a cute way, saying, which is true, there was a probationary period before um, uh, a supplicant wishing or wishing admission to the Sangha becomes um, ordained as a monk. That's called novitiate, the novice phase. Uh, but he's really saying, you do practice and you'll get something better than the mantra that you're looking for. Do you think there's a probationary, no probationary period for one who wants you to learn a mantra in our teaching? I mean, nobody comes to <laughs> Buddhism looking for a mantra except for this guy. It was, in the Brahmanic tradition, not to be satisfied in learning mantas. Dot, 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 dot. Vangisa felt he must get the Buddha manta at any cost. So he said, Oh, Reverend Gautama, I will abide by your rules. He's in a hurry to get the new manta. Uh, because he just he's just um, pure-hearted to some degree. He's not the one who's actually... Um, greedily taking money. It's the people around him, and he's just following them because he respects them. <clears throat> he, he, you know, it's called love over wisdom, but he had that magical ability. And Gautama replies, Vangisa, when we teach the Buddha Manta, <laughs> haha, we do so only to one who takes on the appearance like that of ourselves, meaning you better join up. Vangisa had set his mind on learning the Buddha Manta after fulfilling the condition required by the Buddha, so he said to his followers, to them, now this is also political and interesting, now, do not take it amiss about my becoming a bhikkhu, meaning monk, I must learn the Buddha Manta. Having learned it, I will become the greatest master in this Jambuddipa, Jambuddipa, and that will be a good thing for you too, meaning you'll keep making lots of money. After consoling his associates thus, Vangisa became a bhikkhu for the purpose of learning the Buddha Manta. So, um, doing a good thing for some confused motive. The note here is the preceptor who sponsored Vangisa in the formal ceremony of admission was the Venerable Nigroda Kappa. And that's the one who passed over as um, object of Vangisa's questioning in Vangisa Sutta, which we'll lead, read next time. So he, the one who his preceptor was Nigoroda Kappa. He was an Arhat. He happened to be near the Buddha at that time. He was just right there. The Buddha said to Venerable Nigoroda Kappa, Nigoroda Kappa, Vangisa, here, wishes to become a bhikkhu, see to his admission into the Sangha. Nigoroda Kappa taught the meditation practice on the five aspects of the loathsome body to Vangisa and led him to bhikkhuhood and then he became a, an Arhat. <coughs> so, 32 aspects of body and 5 aspects of its loath loathsomeness, not practices that are well appreciated today. Then the Buddha said to Vangisa, Vangisa, now observe the probationer's practice, probationer's practice as a learner of the manta, and taught him to reflect on the 32 parts of the body. Vangisa, being a man of keen intellect, He's just a young boy. He's just a teenager, I think. Uttering the 32 parts and meditating on the arising and dissolution of physical phenomena of comprising the 32 parts of the body, gained insight into physical phenomena and attained arahanship. So he had an um, insight. That's a particular path of going to Nibban. Um, insight into the three marks, the nature of the three marks, impermanence, insubstantiality, and, and uh, stress, dukkha, that is, that insight, or uh, understanding the three marks um, as the true nature, or some aspect of the true nature of physical phenomena and the body, was his particular path, and he became an arhat. After he attained arhatship, his Brahmin friends visited him to find out how he was progressing. <clears throat> so don't <laughs> getting getting rebuked by one's friends and family um, for our sincere continuance of self-development or spiritual study or spiritual path learning meditating um, dot 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 uh, getting rebuked by friends and family has been going on for millennia. <laughs> Shariputta's mother rebuked him. 
Vangisa's friends rebuked him. <clears throat> Gautama was not um, appreciated by his father initially after he left the palace. Um, it happens. So the friends say to him, Vangisa, how now? Have you learned the mantra from Samana, Shramana, um, meaning bhikkhu or uh, yogi, Gotama? Ah, yes, I have, replied Venerable Vangisa. Then let us go, they said. But he wasn't interested anymore. And he said, you go yourselves. I have no more business to be in your company. Bye-bye. On hearing this plain answer, the Brahmin said, we had forewarned you that Samana Gotama had a way of winning over his visitors by trickery. Now you have fallen under the spell of Samana Shramana Gotama. What business is there for you? What business is there for us with you? Vituperating, which is harsh blaming. Vituperating their erstwhile friend, thus their previous friend. They returned by the way they had come. Indeed, <laughs> they returned back to their old ways of <clears throat> looking to capitalize on magical power. And so that was that. He lost all those friends. And um, it's been going on. This is um, what happens in this uh, planetary culture. That happens in the, on this planet. On planet Earth, where <clears throat> wisdom is a rarity, honesty is a rarity, those that are committed to the positive path are a rarity, those that are um, are commonly rejected by friends and family and previously loved ones, uh, misunderstood and uh, vituperated against. Uh, not always, but some. And so, okay. If it's straight, I help it along. If it's crooked, I leave it alone. <clears throat> the unteachable and the ignorant, as the uh, one of the Puritan preachers said, those that are unteachable and ignorant... Um, I'd say better to just let them go their way, of course. And so, <clears throat> this will be only part one. Let's see where we are. We're only at, uh, maybe I can finish this in 15 minutes. Because the sutta is actually the, the least important of the teachings here. So, um, some of the final notes. Venerable Vangisa was a most prominent bhikkhu disciple of the Buddha, for his wonderful verses, you can read something else. He was a born poet, fine, fine. He uttered praises always in verse, uh, verses in praise of Buddha, comparing him in poetic similes to the moon, the sun, the sky, the great ocean, the noble tusker, meaning elephant, and the lion. These verses, which he sang extempore, extempore, at the moment of casting his eyes on the Buddha, ran into thousands. So he made thousands of verses. And Mingun Sayadar probably memorized all of them. <clears throat> and so, finally, Gautama called him one of the foremost disciples, saying, Bhikkhus, among my Bhikkhu disciples, endowed with a quick wit or ready expression, Bhikkhu Vangisa is the foremost. So he had that ability to compose eloquent um, poetry and praise in verse. Um, on the spot. So that was the basis. And I guess we will um, <laughs> run through the uh, Vangisa Sutta fast here. Um, see where, if I can hold this into 15 minutes or so. Thus have I heard, or I have heard, and now we're going to read Sutta Nepata 2.12, Vangisa Sutta, Vangisa Sutta. I have heard, thus have I heard, that on one occasion the Blessed One was staying near Alavi on the Agalava Shrine, or Chetia. And on that occasion, Venerable Vangisa's preceptor, meaning the one who became, the, the one who, who, in, who ordained him, an elder named Nigroda Kappa, had recently totally unbound at the Aga, Agalava, Agalava Shrine, Chetia, meaning... Uh, he had died. <laughs> so to us, he had died. The metaphysics is that he had re he had totally unbound, and so that's <clears throat> a that's the term used for those who die arhats, uh, achieved arhat nibban, and then die out of the physical. They are now or at that point totally unbound. 
That's called enlightenment without remainder. The remainder, uh, which was the body, is gone. They're now totally unbound. <clears throat> then, as Venerable Vangisa was alone in seclusion, this train of thought arose in his awareness. Has my preceptor totally unbound? Or has he not totally unbound? Meaning, did he uh, go to the deathless or not? From death to the deathless. Then, emerging from his seclusion in the late afternoon, Venerable Vangisa went to the Blessed One and, and on arrival, having bowed down to him, sat to one side. As he was sitting there, he said to the Blessed One, Just now, as I was alone in seclusion, this train of thought arose in my awareness. Has my preceptor totally unbound, or has he not totally unbound? Then, arranging his robe over one shoulder, and placing his hands palm to palm over his heart toward the Blessed One, Venerable Vangisa addressed the Blessed One in verses, <clears throat> which he loves doing. He said, we ask the teacher of supreme discernment, who has cut off uncertainty in the here and now. A monk has died at the Aga Lava Shrine, meaning his preceptor, well-known, prestigious, with a mind fully unbound. Nigrodakapa was his name, given by you, blessed one, to that Brahmin. So he was also a Brahmin before joining the Sangha. He went about revering you, who sees you, who sees the firm Dhamma, <clears throat> intent on release, with persistence aroused. Sakyan, now he's talking to Gautama, all around I, meaning uh, all-seeing I. <laughs> we all want to know of that disciple. Ready to hear are our ears. You, our teacher, you are unexcelled. Cut through our uncertainty. Tell me this, make known, one of discernment deep, <clears throat> that he was totally unbound. This is of his asking of his teacher. Like the thousand-eyed Saka, one of the gods, in the midst of the devas, speak all around I, in ours, meaning amidst us. Here, whatever snares there are, paths of delusion, siding with not knowing, <laughs> bases of uncertainty, on reaching the Tathagata, they don't exist as that I, meaning Katama, is the foremost of men, <clears throat> meaning snares and paths of delusion, <laughs> false ways of thinking, bullshit talk, siding with not knowing, all that goes away when one is with um, a being like Gautama, Nichinanda as well. For, he goes on, for if no man were ever to disperse defilements, as the wind, a dark mass of clouds, the whole world would be enveloped in darkness. Even brilliant people wouldn't shine bright, if you weren't here, Gautama. But the enlightened are makers of light. Thus I think you're that, enlightened one. We have come to one who knows through clear seeing. Make Kappa shine in our assembly. Meaning, please reveal where he went. <clears throat> Enlightened are makers of light. Light workers are light transducers, receivers, transmitters. It isn't my light. It isn't my love. <laughs> it's it's the logoic light, love, love, light uh, that we are more or less transparent to, that we more or less transduce. Going on. Quickly, handsome one, stir your handsome voice like a swan stretching out its neck Call gently with rounded tones, well modulated. We all listen to you, sitting upright. Pleading, I shall get the pure one to speak, he whose birth and death are abandoned. For people run of the mill haven't the power to bring about what they desire, but Tathagatas do have the power to bring about what they have pondered. This, your consummate explanation, is rightly grasped, you of discernment, rightly straight. This last salutation is offered, knowing, don't delude us, one of discernment supreme. Understanding the noble Dhamma from high to low, knowing, don't delude us, hero supreme. I long for the water of your speech, as if distressed in mind by the heat in the summer. Rain down a torrent. 
Was the holy life, as led by Kappa, in line with his aim? Was it not in any way in vain? Did he unbind with no fuel remaining? <clears throat> Let us hear how he was released. And I think this is Gautama now speaking. Here he cut off craving for name and form. The current of the Dark One, Mara, the long-time obsession, he has crossed over birth and death. So spoke the Blessed One, excelling in five. Five aspects of, of uh, his, aware, his awakening. Hearing this, and then, then we the final lines are here uh, from um, Vangisa. Hearing this, your word, highest of seers, I am brightened and calmed. Surely my question was not in vain, nor was I deceived by the Brahmin. As he spoke, meaning his teacher Nigurada Kappa, as he spoke, so he acted, he was a disciple of the One Awakened, meaning Gautama. He has cut through the tough, stretched-out net of deceitful death. He, Kapiya, that's another term for his teacher, saw, Blessed One, the beginning of clinging, Upadana, which is uh, uh, the avidya basis of Upadana and, uh, and um, Tana. He, Kapiya, saw, Blessed One, the beginning of clinging. He, Kapayana, has gone beyond the realm of death, so very hard to cross. <clears throat> so that's a, <laughs> a uh, sympathetic reading of Vankisa's speaking in Vangisa Sutta to Gautama about his teacher that he loved, Nigodat Kappa. You know, um, it's a great thing to have a, a great teacher. <laughs> Having a great teacher is a great thing, and one naturally has love to a great teacher, because a great teacher has helped, uh, pure, helped us purify our own mind and um, move, out of, move out of suffering to well-being, or much less suffering, or continually decreasing suffering and stress and pain and confusion, and continually growing little by little by little until an end, um, growing um, understanding and well-being and peace and non-conflict and um, equanimity and all the good qualities that we seek. So, um, he loved his teacher Nigorodakapa, Kapayana, and uh, he loved Gautama, and um, he was a sweet guy, Pangisa. Uh, and that he was used by his Brahmin friends and relatives didn't matter. He uh, was in it, and he knew enough to um, see someone who knew more than himself. <clears throat> and even though his in intention was confused initially, I want the Buddha Manta so I can become the greatest uh, Manta user in uh, Jambudipa. Um, despite that, um, he was, like Rahula, last time, last week, uh, quite receptive to instruction. And so a good student gets it. And that means one who really learns, one who really hears well. Shravaka, a hearer. <clears throat> and originally Buddhism, or, or a certain sect of early Buddhism, was called the, the Shravakas, or the hearers. As I always confuse Samana and Shravaka, but I believe that the term is a Shravaka. Shravaka, Shravaka, a hearer, uh, one who, the, the path of the listeners, the hearers. And um, by uh, right listening, one can make very quick growth, actually. One can really cut through confusion and wrong view in some cases quite quickly by um, high quality listening <clears throat> and one can learn much so if you want to know somebody um, listen to them well and let your intuition play on um, play as you're listening to interpret the meaning of what you're hearing so <clears throat> I think that'll be it and um, it's a nice it's a it's nice to see the background of um, these suttas, <laughs> and uh, next time we will continue. Let me find the right link and show you. 
getting close to the end of the second chapter of Sutta Nipata. This is the next chapter. Sama Paribadanya. Sama Paribadanya. Okay, okay. Right wandering. <laughs> Sama is right. Pariba, Paribajanya, Janiya, Paribajanya is a right wandering, but I'm sure there are other um, translations uh, of this sutta. And Hanisaro's write up synopsis is the sort of person who, having gone forth, is fit to wander through the world. So this would be a good sutta for wanderers, I assume. And it's not very long. And um, it's very interesting, actually, because <clears throat> it's really um, a teaching, next time, on um, the basis of right autonomy, <laughs> the, the spiritual basis of trusting yourself enough to <clears throat> lead yourself through your life. <clears throat> and actually, I will close... <clears throat> if I can find it, with a quote, uh, some degree of conf of translation, from Gongzi, Master Gongzi, Confucius, um, who's talking about the basis of self-trust and learning and self-correction and autonomy. He said, the translation goes, the Master said, at 15... I set my heart on learning. At 30, I knew where I stood. At 40, I had no more doubts. At 50, I knew the will of heaven. At 60, my ears were attuned. And at 70, I followed my heart's desire without crossing the line. <clears throat> so, setting one's heart on learning, knowing where one is, going beyond doubt, knowing the will of heaven, Attuning one's ears comes nearly at the end. Attuning one's ears, um, truly, <clears throat> truly hearing, which is knowing, which is of fifth ray. And at seventy, finally, he followed. He could then follow his heart's desire without crossing the line, because his heart's desires were at one with um, the will of heaven, or what's best for one and all. So. <laughs> Next time we'll look into uh, a sutta about right and uh, righteous wandering. So I hope this was useful. Um, please take good care of yourselves. See you next time, and good night.